So this is spirituality in a nutshell. I'm here and I want to get there. That's that's the sense of seeking, however we may characterize that. So we, we may characterize it as, you know, I'm on this shore, but I want to get to that shore, the other shore, the better one. Or, um, you know, as I am, I'm unworthy, but if I accomplish what I know I should accomplish, then I'll feel worthy. Or, you know, I'm stuck in this body, you know, with all its limitations, with all my issues that have not yet been resolved. Um, but if I really work at it, maybe I'll get enlightened and then everything will be fine. So all of these are just different ways of stating the same thing. I, I feel like I lack something here, but if I do the right things, then I will get something. It'll make my life complete. I'll feel fulfilled. I'll feel at home in this world. I'll feel at home in this body. So that's, that's sort of the essence of the spiritual journey. And um, it can feel difficult, right? Frustrating. Why? There's um, a story in the Old Testament where the um, Israelites had escaped from Egypt. Moses got them across the Red Sea, but then they spent the next 40 years wandering in the desert. And then finally, they came across the Jordan River and um, through divine intervention, the river opened up, they were able to cross into the promised land. So this is a metaphor of the same genre, right? You know, difficulty, searching, finally coming to the last barrier, and finally reaching the promised land. In um, Buddhism, they have a, a term it's called paramita, and uh, it's generally translated from the Sanskrit into English as perfection, right? Like on the, you know, the, the Buddha field is there, here where I am is all the suffering and delusion, and um, there are practices to get from here to there. So they talk about six paramitas. So the, the first one is, um, uh, it, it's sometimes called all inclusion. So to go back to the Old Testament story, you know, what? What got the Israelites across the Jordan River, you know, to the final threshold? And um, the story goes that it was their total faith in God, right? And God responded, opened up the river, and they walked across. But if we look at this concept that we call God, um, then what is that? If we, if we talk about it as being the entirety, right, nothing, nothing lying outside of it, right, whole world of form, formless, potential, actualized, 
good, evil, the entirety, everything. If we take it as being that, then um, what got them across is the total faith in the entirety. Another way of saying that is total faith in what is, the entirety of what is, right? Which is just another way of saying coming into full alignment with life. So in back to Buddhism, the first, there's six paramitas, basically paths, actions that we can take to get from here to there, the spiritual journey. So the first one um, is, um, is often translated as um, all-inclusive, which is very much the same as the story of the Israelites, right? Um, allowing this sense of complete uh, inclusivity, everything is part of life not being holding oneself separate in any way, um, trusting life is, is essentially the same as having faith in mind presence and its manifestation. So it's, it's very, very similar in that way. And the, um, the usefulness of that particular path is that it, it takes the mind out of the equation, right? Because the mind isn't always trying to um, be demanding about life, trying to coax it this way or coerce it that way, or um, it's just coming in, in alignment with it, right? We have to like everything that happens, um, but it, means that we acknowledge that's how life is, that's how it's unfolding in this and every moment. And we can either be opposed to that or we can allow that to be and um, and uh, uh, respond to that accordingly. Right. So in this case, uh, again, back to the story of the Israelites, this, the River Jordan wasn't just a little stream that they had across was described as a raging torrent, you know, something dangerous to get across. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe you felt like that sometimes that you sort of wandered in the desert for a long time, maybe not 40 years, but maybe, maybe 10, maybe 20, who knows? You know, it can feel like a long time of being just seeking, trying to find some way out. And then at some point you might come across um, sort of a threshold event, you know, in this case, like a raging river, dangerous. How do, how do I get past that? You know, so in, I mean, it's just a metaphor for the spiritual journey. We can come up to a point where we're, where we're challenged by life. You know, life is offering us the opportunity to move past something, trusting life enough to move through, through the experience, whatever that is. And, you know, maybe, you know, we've had the experience where we've come right up against that opportunity and, um, and backed away from it, you know, thinking, well, that, that looks dangerous, you know, maybe, um, you know, I think 
I'm wondering if there's an there's a easier way to get across that river. You know, maybe, maybe I can, I don't have to give up all my ideas and opinions or identity and still get enlightened. Maybe there's an easier way. So this, this uh, image of um, a river and challenge and um, is a, you know, is, is, a, is a really useful image. There was a um, film series on, was on Paramount Plus, but it was called 1883. And it was really a well done series. And it was about, um, you know, took place in the year 1883, wagon train headed west. And, um, uh, and at one point they came across this raging river. And, uh, and what they needed to do before they could cross the river is they had to throw out everything that was non-essential, right? All the, you know, the fancy dresses and, you know, uh, furniture and piano and this and that, that just, you know, was nice to have, except um, you just wouldn't make it across the river in the wagons so loaded down with that. So this this is the the challenge of you know crossing over. So I mentioned in um, the translation uh, from the Sanskrit um, for paramitas is actually perfection. Right? So um, you know the realm of Perfection, the land of the Buddhas, that's that's what lays on the, the far shore. But the, the interesting thing is that um, when Buddhism migrated to China, um, the, the actual pictograph in Chinese for it is literally crossing to the other shore. It's not perfection. It's it's a it's a movement, it's a um, looking for some something that will totally fulfill us. Right? We can do that. It doesn't have to be just spiritual seeking. I mean, we can be seeking um, success. We could be seeking wealth, we could fame, uh, security, safety, um, uh, adventures, excitement, um, all kinds of things to seek. We can even be seeking uh, spiritual highs. We can be seeking to quiet our mind. You know, we can be seeking physical stimulation. We can be seeking all kinds of things. Right? And the, the movement I'd suggest is always to find that which will fulfill. Hopefully on a permanent basis. And if not on a permanent basis, at least often enough that it'll feel okay. Right? So the, the benefit of that intensity of seeking is that hopefully at some point it might wear us out and perhaps you know wears out in um thoroughly <laughs> not not as a strategy like i'm a little tired today so maybe maybe i've really worn myself out now right not not that i mean just literally the incapacity to be motivated to go further down any particular road. And that's a fortunate thing because then that opens up the possibility is 
um, you know, is that all there is? You know, who's doing all the seeking? So up till that point, the seeking is outward. It's towards the next stimulation, the next sensation, the next thought, the next theology, the next experience. Always to the that which appears within awareness. And at, and at some point, we, we just might turn it around. Like, I wonder what it is that's doing all the seeking, you know, where all that yearning is coming from. So that's, that's a very different movement, very transformative movement. There's a, um, there's a term in Greek, which is the language that the Bible was written in, and the term is metanoia, and how that's typically translated or understood now by many people is um, that it, it, it means repentance. But it didn't actually mean that when it was written. It meant that, you know, once the Romans got hold of it, um, they used a word that um, repentance that uh, is the same root as penitentiary, you know, some, has something to do with punishment, you know, that you've, there's a sense of you've done something wrong and now you're sorry for it. But the, the original Greek didn't mean that at all. The original Greek term, which is used many times in the New Testament, is metanoia, which means um, having a change of mind so profound that it alters the very way you look at life. So that's what we're talking about, right? Here's something we've lived life, we're, we're, you know, seeking, looking for something for fulfillment. And at some point, it's like, wait a minute, who's, who's doing all this seeking? So this is a change of perspective, change of perspective that's so profound that it can alter the whole trajectory of our search. And so if we really understood the significance of that, we're no longer motivated to look outside, but rather to really investigate what it is that is looking. Let's talk about ways that have been used historically to do that. The first one that we, selfless service. So why, why is that a, or can be a useful path? Um, this is that we're, you know, devoting our time and energy towards um, something or someone that we believe in, right? And it, it may be that effort isn't really selfless, but it's, it's a way to lead towards selflessness. I mean, we may be doing it to, I don't know, feel better about ourselves or to feel needed or to feel helpful or to get enlightened, you know, so there can be some movement there that, you know, isn't entirely selfless. But the the energy, the time and energy may be a commitment that over time um, sort of works on this sense of egoic self. There's only so long you can hold the idea of, look at me, what I'm doing, is this great? And after a while, it's, it's, it's just, it, it 
sort of drops into just the doing. And then um, that has the uh, effect of sort of eroding this personal will. So that's that's a path. And it doesn't have to be spiritual. It's often talked about in spiritual terms, but it could also be a, uh, a soccer home, you know, taking the, the kids to soccer practice every afternoon, five days a week and for eight hours on Saturday. I mean, that, in my mind, selfless service. You know, it's not typically considered a spiritual practice, but I would say it's it um, probably works pretty well. Okay, so selfless service is one. Uh, the second one is mindfulness. So um, this is obviously popular. Um, uh, and it's really just noticing what's happening in the moment. Um, and most of the time, the present moment is quite ordinary. You know, so in the present moment, we can notice ordinary things, our breath, you know, sounds, sensations. And again, there's not much for the mind to grab hold on there. It's, um, um, you know, there's just this sense of observing. You know, as long as we're observing without the judgment or the comparison or analysis or doing it for a purpose, but just simply being present for. And if that's done over a long period of time, perhaps there's an opportunity to notice that um, um, that there's just observing, but there's not an entity that we could find that could be called the observer. There's the observing, but there's no observer. Okay, so that's the usefulness of that practice, just recognizing that that observing is not a personal self. It's just observing. Okay, the third one is a steadfast effort. This means just trying, seeking your heart out for a long time. And it can be done in the spiritual setting, you know, seeking this practice, that practice, this teacher, that teacher. But it can also be done, you know, in just a worldly setting as well, you know, seeking success, seeking wealth, seeking comfort, seeking um, extraordinary experiences, seeking high states. You can do it in the spiritual realm too, seeking spiritual you know, metaphysical, spiritual experience is wonderful. Um, you know, so it's just seeking something that will result in abiding peace and contentment. And the, the, the beauty of <laughs> this particular path, just this steadfast effort over an extended period of time, is that it wears you down. So this is... Um, Perhaps not the most enjoyable path, but it seems to be a popular one. A lot of people doing it. You know, seeking, 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 and finding disappointment, frustration. So this is good. This is becoming 
disillusioned. <laughs> you know, the undoing of illusion is a good thing. So this is the benefit of that particular path. You know, just um, wears you out. <laughs> this is this is the forty years of wandering in the desert. You just get tired at some point. It's like, okay, I'll cross the river, whatever. I'm done. Okay, the next one is um, meditation. The reason meditation um, often doesn't um, work for people, or many people find it difficult or frustrating or not productive enough, is that they're looking for it to do something for them. You know, they look, they're looking to meditation to get to a different state. Better state, of course, than one, whatever we happen to be experiencing now. So that sort of demand on the experience taints it. And I'd suggest what meditation is really good at is that it gives you a one-on-one -on -one experience with your mind. You and your mind all alone inside your head. And so it gives you plenty of time to just watch the mechanisms there, see how beliefs operate. One of the things you can notice is that thoughts aren't under your control. If they were, you'd be able to stop thinking or think about anything you'd like to think about and not think about anything that you don't like to think about. But that doesn't happen. So we can just notice that. If we can notice that, there's a possibility of noticing that thoughts happen. There's no one thinking them. We think there should be. It's obvious that thoughts happen. And so we presume that there must be somebody something, some entity inside there somewhere, me thinking those thoughts. But when we actually go looking for that thinking entity, you won't find one. What you find is just this there. It's just that spaciousness. Noticing whatever thought or lack of thought may be happening. That's what you find. No thinker. So that's the benefit of that particular path. Okay, so that brings us to the sixth um, paramita, which is Prajna wisdom. And this just means heart wisdom. This is often called the direct path. This is just looking directly at our experience without um, subjecting ourselves to a practice or any beliefs. Just to look directly for ourselves in our own direct experience and see what's happening. So the benefit of this is that it's not time-related. 
you know, some of these other practices that we're talking about require a certain amount of time to to wear us down to get to the to the bottom of it. Um, Prajna wisdom is, is looking at it directly, seeing what is present already in this moment. And we can see that um, if we dare to look, that what is present is this capacity to notice, capacity to be aware. It's not something that we attain, something that we notice that we are already. So there's not a question of time involved. It can be noticed in any moment. Not the end of the story, but it's the doorway. It's the doorway into what could be called a true spiritual life. But this is mostly the path that I teach from. Um, it does, we don't have to be, a, you know, solely on one path rather than another. Um, of course, you know, they're, they're all, all, all the paths have, have benefit. The important point is that they are a vehicle to um, uh, get us to recognize something right so the vehicles it's i mean the other way to think of that is that the teachings are a boat to get you across the river to get you from this shore to the other shore so there can be this sense of yeah but i feel like i'm over here here on this shore looking over towards the promised land on the other shore and how do i get from here to there So one, one of the things that we can wonder is what is exactly lacking on this shore that you think will be added um, by getting to the other shore? And, and the truth is actually the opposite of that. The truth is you have more on this shore than you will have on the other shore. It's, it's actually a relinquishment rather than an attainment. And what, what's relinquished is your hopes, dreams, opinions, regrets, what ifs, jealousies, unforgivenesses. Desires, judgments. All of that. That's what you have on this shore. But to get across the river, it's like the wagon train. That's what has to be jettisoned, right? The problem with that is you can't throw something out that you believe truly that you need. If you see that it's not really essential, it's not really who you are, then you're no longer grasping onto it. But as long as you believe that that particular opinion or belief 
or you know the person that did something 20 years ago that you haven't forgiven them for whatever you're holding on to that you feel is essential that's what burdens you and the more stuff you try to carry in that boat to get across the river <laughs> the more dangerous it is not ultimately but you just can't get there with a, a boat that's overloaded. So the journey really is to um, look at what is what we're holding on to as our identity, as what we believe is who we are, what makes us who we are, and just see that it's not. It's just a debris that we picked up along the way, ideas, and we don't even know where they came from. We might have only some vague idea. It wasn't like we consciously picked them up. You know, it wasn't like at, you know, 11 years old, we decided, you know, we went up to mom and said, you know what, I've decided I want to be an unworthy person in this lifetime. You know, we don't, we don't do that. Some, but somehow we take on that, whatever that self-judgment is. So that's what we can look at. Anything that we feel constrains us, weights us down, concretizes our identity. We can look at it to see if it's really true. Is it really in essence who we are? Or is it something that, from the perspective of awareness, we can just see, yes, there's that conditioning, there's that pattern. Okay. We don't actually have to try to get rid of it. That's, that's the miracle of this process. It's just that the light of awareness has a quality that sort of resolves our fixation on that conditioning. You know, the conditioning may still operate, but if we don't really believe that it defines who we are, you know, what's, what's the problem? It's just conditioning, just like we all have. Personality, habits, patterns, skills, all of it. None of it is essentially what we are. So we don't actually have to jettison the conditioning. That's not what's needed. We just have to let go of our attachment to the conditioning. We can see, yeah, that's, that's how this body-mind was conditioned. Okay. But it doesn't define what I am. As long as what we're taking ourselves to be is this spaciousness, is this awake awareness. From that perspective, looking back at conditioning, we can see that everything, everything in the world of form is conditioned in some way. And yet, this awareness is not, never has been, 
doesn't require deconditioning. <laughs> it's already already unconditioned. It's already at peace. Doesn't doesn't need to be improved upon. There's just this refreshing capacity of awareness to sort of um, lighten up this heaviness of conditioning. You know, it's just like the the, the sunlight um, disinfects the towel hanging on the clothesline. It's not that the sunlight intends to disinfect the towel. It's just its nature. You know, so it's not something that's done with intention. It's just the, the innate capacity um, of awareness to um, loosen our grip on this where this uh, conditioning that we imagine ourselves to be. Okay, so these different pathways that we talked about tonight um, are just um, not to be worshipped, right? To be used. And their purpose is to convey us from what we imagine ourselves to be now to something that we truly are. Once once we reach the other shore, we don't have to pick up the boat that got us there and put it on top of our head and continue to carry it along. It will have served its purpose, right? And that's that's the liberation, liberating us to recognize what we have always been. We just imagined ourselves to be something less than that. 